we're starting a new sermon series today called um, The Week That Changed Everything. And I've had a few weeks that have shifted everything in my life. I'm wondering maybe, have you ever had one of those kind of weeks where you look back and you go, okay, that week, everything changed. Maybe it was the week that you got that, that, that acceptance to that college in, in the mail and, and everything kind of changed. It set you on a, a certain course in life. Maybe it was the day that your, your son or daughter was born and everything kind of changed and uh, just went a different direction than you thought things were going to go. When I look back on my life and some of the big changes, the, the big weeks of my life, there's really two that kind of stand out above every other uh, weeks of my life. One of them happened in 1995. I was going to college. I was bored one afternoon, so me and my buddies decided we were going to go watch a floor hockey game during the, one of the intermissions as we're sitting there watching the uh, just watch, game was stopped, but we're sitting there during one of the intermissions when all of a sudden this pretty pretty girl comes walking across the, the floor. Her name was Becky, and life has never been the same. Ended up marrying her, having a few kids with her. It's been awesome. Um, another uh, week that was very impactful and just shifted the course of my life happened in the, over the summer of 2008. Uh, Becky was three months pregnant, and so we did what everybody does when you've got a pregnant wife. We decided to go on a, a family camping trip with tents and stuff, you know? Not really. We did do that, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. The plan was to camp and then to kind of head down to Linden to be with Becky's parents for a few days, and uh, none of that happened, though. Uh, it just, uh, things just kind of shifted and changed. About two days into the trip, Becky actually uh, had a miscarriage, lost the baby. That was life course change number one, and there was more to come on this particular trip. We ended up cutting this camping trip short. We headed down to Linden to be with Becky's parents a few days earlier than we were originally going to. That extra time allowed me and my father-in-law the opportunity to stop in at some church named CTK to see if they knew of any opportunities for pastors. Turns out they did. And here I am, everything though just changed. And I think when it comes to these these life-changing kinds of weeks in our lives, most of us you could probably think of some of those weeks for you, and you could, you could probably look back, I'm guessing, and go, okay, I did not anticipate heading into that Monday of that week that that week was going to just shift everything. And this has always amazed me about life, how we create all of our big plans. You know, we, we, we try to predict uh, how things are going to go. We try to control our future as much as we can. But then when we're least expecting it, something happens. It could be big. It could be something really, really small, but it just changes the course of our, of our lives. This is, the, this is how the future works. It's this blank slate. You have no idea. You can't guarantee what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone next year, let alone five years out from now. It's just a blank slate. Everything could change. You know, I'm, I'm praying that maybe for somebody in the room today, you might hear something in the next 20 minutes that's going to just change your life and set you on a different course. In all of history, though, there's one week that just towers above all the others when it comes to the impact that it had on humanity. It literally changed everything, so much so that we've actually given a name to this week. We call it the Passion Week. And, of course, that was the week that Jesus, it started off on, on Sunday with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. The, the week would end with Jesus hanging on a cross and then three days later coming back to life. But throughout that week, there was actually a lot of different things that happened. Jesus did a lot of teaching. and uh, He taught some important truth. 
Uh, it was the same week where Jesus went into Jerusalem and he flipped over the money changers' tables in the temple, got everybody really ticked off. He got the religious crowd so angry at him that they went from just anger to like murderous rage. Lots of stuff happened in this, this week. And I'm guessing some people back in that day, they, they might have sensed that events were, were shifting and changing and leading up to some kind of epic moment. But I think most people probably headed into that Monday just going on with their lives with not a clue about how the course of events that week was, were going to shift humanity. As we move towards Easter, I would love to take us on a, a, a little journey as a church through this dramatic, most dramatic week in history, looking at some of the biggest changes that happened as a result of the Passion Week and th- these changes that can have a tremendous impact on our lives. Not long after Jesus went into Jerusalem on that, that cult, he sat down and he began to teach the people. And like he often did, he, on this particular occasion in this scripture that we're going to be reading this morning, he's, he, he taught in stories. He loved to tell stories, parables, that would, would drive home a, a point. And in this story that we're going to look at, he used the backdrop of a wedding banquet to drive home this history-changing message. And that's this, that access to God was no longer going to be for a certain group of people, a group of people who had their act, their act together, who, who were religious and cleaned up. Instead, he wanted to get the message across that because of the cross and everything that was going to happen, the door to the presence of God, access to the presence of God was going to be open wide for anyone to enter. And so we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 22, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, and uh, it goes like this. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So I want to stop right there. So we got this story. This king is going to represent Father, Father God, and the son represents Jesus. Jesus doesn't outright say it at any point in the story, but what he's doing here is he's going to tell a story about his father and himself. And, and it's about... The father, the king, throwing a wedding banquet for his son. Now, most of us in this room have probably been to a wedding banquet at one point or another. Um, you know that weddings, wedding banquets are a pretty big deal. In fact, when I will marry somebody, typically what happens with that couple is they say, Hey, Rich, make the ceremony as short as you possibly can. Let's just get to the banquet. Let's get to the party as fast as we possibly can. They're, they're a big deal. And this one here, though, is going to be a big deal on a whole new level. Because why? Because it's the king's son. It's going to have the, uh, the, the best music. It's going to have the finest wines. It's going to have the most savory food. It's going to be the party of all parties. Everyone's hoping to get an invitation to this party. But the king doesn't send out invites to everyone initially, just a select few. He sends it out to close friends. He sends it out to family. He sends it out probably to like the elites of society, people that you would expect to be at a prince's wedding banquet. But a strange thing happens after the invites go out. Jesus goes on to say about the king that he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But get this, they refused to come. Now, 2,000 years ago, as Jesus is telling this to his ancient Middle Eastern crowd that understood kings and all that kind of stuff and how this all worked, to that group of listeners, they are in total shock at this moment. 
nobody refuses the wedding invitation to the king's son's wedding banquet. It doesn't matter who you are, you attend, if for nothing else, out of respect and honor for the king. The king has invited you to this banquet. So you just, maybe you don't even really want to go, but you just go because it's, it's the king's son. Any ordinary, self-respecting king who gets refused by his people isn't very happy at this moment. In fact, he's probably going to go out, tell his palace guard to go arrest those people and throw them in prison for a few months, years, to teach them a lesson about refusing the king's invitation. This king, though, doesn't do that. This, this story is not about an ordinary king. It's about a, a different kind of king. The Bible says that this king is slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's, 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 he's uh, gracious and compassionate. And instead of giving these invitees what they deserve, he instead attempts to convince them to come by painting this picture of just how amazing this banquet's going to be. The Bible says that um, he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Kind of sounds like Howie trying to pitch a meeting to a church. He's like, it's going to be awesome. That's what the king is doing. But listen, they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. And then it gets even more incredible. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Jesus picked the perfect story here to give the perfect illustration of the father heart of God as it would relate to the redemption story, the story of God saving humanity that started way back in the beginning right up until now. The Father, he invites a group of people to experience this incredible celebration, eternal life, abiding in the all-satisfying presence of God. Initially, this this invite was primarily to the, the Israelites, the Jewish people. It came through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And like often happens today, their response to this gracious, loving invitation was less than enthusiastic. They refused, and, and they refused for a lot of the same reasons that people refuse the invitation today. Maybe there's just a, a flat-out unwillingness. Maybe you're in this boat. You're like these people. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't really want to go. Um, maybe you regularly come, come to church. You hear the truth. Maybe you even feel the tug of God in your heart, drawing you to himself, pulling you to himself. He's saying, I got something more for you. But you're at a place where you're just going, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not now. Maybe you're, you've got some reasons. Maybe you, you're, you say not now, but you're unwilling because maybe you, there's a fear of what might be waiting on the other side of you responding with a yes. Or maybe you're going, I don't really know enough yet about what this is all about, so I just need to hear a little bit more. But, but there's this unwillingness there. And if you're in that boat, by the way, let me just say, we are really glad that you're here. This church is here for people who are in this boat. Um, there's, there's another group of people that, though, maybe they respond with a no because there's just an apathy there. There's, they're, they're like these two guys in this story where they just, they're just kind of apathetic. They just don't really care about this invite. You've got these two guys. One of the guys is a blue-collar guy. He goes back to, the, goes back to his, his, his farm. The other guy's a white-collar kind of guy. He goes back to his business. But they just are kind of apathetic. It's kind of like their response is a prince's banquet now, I'd rather be back on the farm shoveling cow manure. <laughs> or, no, nah, I think I'd rather just go back to the business downtown, pull out my laptop, crunch some numbers, figure out how I can get some more clients to be a part of the business, all that kind of stuff. 
This refusal, you got to understand this. This is shocking, what's happening in this story. In fact, when you consider that this is, is God who's giving this invitation, that Jesus is painting a picture here in the story of the invitation that God gives, God who is perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, God who is all holiness, all purity, this, this God who is good, beyond measure, when you consider that it's really God inviting people to himself, this refusal to come is actually beyond, it's beyond shocking, it's outright treasonous. It's treasonous that they'd be saying no to the king. It's taking his glory, his majesty, his beauty, and what they're doing is they are exchanging it in their apathy, they're exchanging it for something else. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, God it just captures really well what's going on here. He says this. He says, my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. They've said, God, we don't want pure living water. We, we, we'll, we'll take the muddy water instead. God, we, we don't want that mansion that's overlooking the San Juan Islands, and God, we'll take the cardboard box under the bridge instead. This exchange that happens here in this story is actually getting at the essence of what sin is really all about. You know, a lot of times we think about sin. What do we think about? We think about saying bad things. We think about lying. We think about uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and yes, that's part of it. But this is the essence of, of sin right here. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1, he talked about how we exchange the glory of God for something else. We say, God, I don't want it your way. I'm actually just going to go my way. I'm going to do things my way instead. You've got living water, I'll take muddy water. You've got the mansion, I'll take the cardboard box. We exchange this invitation this, to God for, some, for something else. It's like he's saying, come to the king's banquet where there's joy and feasting, where you're going to be loved unconditionally. And we're like, no, I'm just going to go back. I'm just going to go home and shovel cow manure instead. It's shocking. But what's even more shocking in this story is the, the patience and the love of the Heavenly Father. He keeps calling, he keeps wooing, he keeps inviting, he keeps going out and trying, trying to get more people to come in. But despite the Father's love and mercy throughout the ages, the responses to his invitation, they actually get worse. They shift from apathy or from unwillingness to apathy to actually outright hostility towards God. In this story, the, the, the um, servants get mistreated and eventually killed when Jesus told this story, it was actually about three or four days before he would be hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of the world. And what he's doing is he's helping the people understand what's going to happen to him, how he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be mistreated, and then he's going to be killed. The creator God is going to be put on a cross by his own creation. And this was us before Christ, hostile towards God, spiritually enemies of God. Our sin demanded justice. And it, it demanded a penalty to be paid. And in this story, Jesus tells, it wouldn't be right if he left out this part about the justice of God. And so he goes on to, to say that the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. God wants us to know, Jesus wants his listeners to know that God is just. A penalty must be paid for sin. And that penalty, the Bible says, the wages of sin is, is death itself. And you know what? This story would be a, it'd be a huge bummer for us this morning if this story ended right here. If this was just, 
it. And, and when you really think about it, though, this story should end right here. This should, it should be done. The, the king's first few invites have been refused. Uh, he's been insulted. The king has been betrayed by his people. And now his, his own servants have been killed by the people, the very people that he's been inviting to his banquet. I mean, come on, the banquet should be over. It should be, at this point, if you're God, don't you think that you're just going to cancel the banquet? Don't you think you're just going to say, okay, I'm sorry, that's, that's it. You know, one of the, 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 the meals in my home, the Warner household, that's become our, one of our favorites is carne asada. We, uh, someone, we were introduced to it about five years ago, and ever since, it's become one of our favorite meals. We got half of our kids on their birthday dinner. We asked them what they want. They're like, I want carne asada. So we love making carne asada, though. And I cannot imagine if I was to make this uh, delicious carne asada meal. You got it going on the barbecue, the best meat with the best seasonings. We got the best salsa, homemade. We got the most amazing pico de gallo. We got the, this amazing guacamole mix. I mean, it's all just incredible. It's going to be an amazing feast. And as I send out the invite, the response is, no, Rich, I'd rather eat dirt. I'd be like, what? Really? Dirt? It'd be kind of insulting, wouldn't it? And then, and then, then to imagine with me that then the people, the very people that I invite to my, my banquet, my feast, they don't just refuse, they actually begin to mistreat my family. I'd be like, okay, I'm pulling back all those invites. Forget this. You guys, it's just going to be me and my carne asada. Thank you very much. Eat all myself. It's done you would think that the king's response would be the same, wouldn't you? You know, this story is kind of playing out like, like, a, like a Hollywood action story. You know, you've seen, you've seen the movie where you've got this, this man or woman, and uh, it starts off, you know, the movie kind of, you get attached to the character, and then something happens, though, comes along, and, and a bad guy comes along and does something to the, the main character, maybe takes something from this person, treats them really bad, um, they do something to that person, then they get away, and then the rest of the movie is that, that character getting revenge, seeking revenge on the person that mistreated them. And whether it's Jason Bourne or whether it's John Wayne, when we're watching this take place, <laughs> anybody know who John Wayne is? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> As we're watching this take place, though, what are we doing inside? We're going, Yeah. Sock it to them. They deserve to get what's coming to them. And the movie will typically end with bodies piled up and the man or woman going back to life on their own. This story of the king acting justly, it should end like this. It only makes sense that it should end like this, but thank God for us, the story goes on. Jesus continues the story saying, Then he, then the king said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. Invite anyone you can find. It is incredible what's happening here. The king's prepared a banquet. It's ready. And this king, the king who is the embodiment of love, wants others to join him. And so he does the unthinkable. Rather than shut the door, God in his love and grace opens it even wider. He flings the door wide open. The people hanging out in the bars, they get an invite. The felons and the convicts hanging out in prison, 
they get invited too. That man or that woman who's gone through a broken marriage, they get an invite too. The addict gets an invite. The drunk gets an invite. The rich get an invite. The poor get an invite. The broken get an invite. Everyone gets invited to the feast. They weren't supposed to be there. They had no standing with the king. They hadn't done anything to deserve the invite. They were so far away from the king. And yet here they are feasting at the king's table. It's absolutely mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. You know, in our 21st century Christianity, where we want everything to go a certain way, and we want to plan and all this kind of stuff, we have this idea of how our lives should go, and we, we think that because we're followers of Jesus that everything should just kind of line up a certain way. When it doesn't line up a certain way, we get all upset, we get ticked off, and we end up shaking our fists in God's face saying, why? Why God is my life? not going like this? Why isn't it easier than this? God, why? One thing that's interesting to me about um, some of the, the books in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, he has this theme that, that runs through uh, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians and Ephesians. And the theme that, that he has is, is he, he's, he's wrestling with a, a completely different question than we wrestle with. We wrestle with the question, why God? Why is this happening to me? He wrestles with the question all throughout there, God, why in the world are we getting an invite to the banquet? Why are we getting invited? We don't deserve to be here. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. I was that person that betrayed the king, that refused this incredible invitation, that was hostile towards him. God, why? Why are we here? You see, here's the deal with this king's invite. None of us are worthy to, 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 to take part in this feast, this banquet, but worthiness to attend has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done. It's determined simply by how you respond to the invitation. How you respond to the invitation. When you respond to that invite with a simple yes, faith and trust in Jesus, all of a sudden something happens in you, something happens inside of you, a radical transformation takes place in you, and, and, and you become a, a new creation, no longer covered in sin, but covered in God's grace. Jesus comes along and says, it's so radical of a transformation that takes place inside of you, we're just going to call it being born again. It's radical. And, and, and it's not your own worthiness, it's Christ's worthiness, His holiness, that is placed on you as you respond to the invitation with faith and trust. And what makes this invitation so amazing is that, you know, number one, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. This is what makes the Christian faith so different than any other religion on the planet. You can dive into other religions, be it, be it um, Islam or, or, or be it uh, Mormonism or be it whatever. You can dive into them all. You're going to find the same thing. You've got to earn your way. You've got to earn salvation. You've got to work really hard. You've got to cross all the T's, dot all the I's. You've got to do all that stuff. This is different. The gospel message is different. You can't earn it. It's just a gift. It's by God's grace alone. And, and this, the other thing that makes this invitation so amazing is that you respond to faith and trust in, to Jesus in faith and trust and receive it. And then once you receive it, you can't lose it. You can't lose it. You know, I imagine, you know, this story with the king and these, these, these people at this banquet. I imagine as the, uh, the riffraff is kind of there. By the way, you and me, we are the riffraff, just in case you're wondering. 
But as they're there at this banquet, I imagine some thoughts are probably going through their mind. They're probably thinking, okay, I better make sure that, that I, I, I do everything just right from now on. I got, I got a, there's probably a protocol here. If I break the protocol, then the king's probably going to kick me out. So there's just this, I got I to gotta work really hard. I got to be perfect. It doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. It starts in grace, and it continues in grace. You see, what makes the, the party even more amazing than the invite is that you go from being an invited guest to being an adopted child of the king. Is this sinking in this morning? The king comes along, and he dishes out this invite that is refused. The king himself is actually put on the cross but he still invites us. He still calls us. And then when we get in, we, it's, it's, we're, we're not just guests anymore. We are children of the king, sons and daughters of the king of kings. Jesus put it like this. He said, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. It's incredible. The party's also pretty amazing in that when you make mistakes or fail, your standing with the king doesn't change. Your standing with the king doesn't change. Because when we accept that invitation, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to fail, do stuff we shouldn't do. <laughs> One of the incredible things, though, is this, our standing does not change. And it's amazing how many people have given their lives to Christ, surrendered to him, are following him. They're at the feast, so to speak, but they're like, Guests who just live in this constant fear of the king, not the good kind of fear that's like honor and respect. They're, they're thinking that if they don't perform their religious duties well, then, then the king is going to give them the boot. If they make a mistake, the king's going to say, okay, that's, that's enough. You're, you're out of here. Or, or, or they forget that the only reason that they're at this feast in the first place is because of God's grace, his unconditional love. And they forget that. They feel like they somehow now have to earn this love. It's like God lets them in, invites them in, and now they're like, i gotta, I got to work for this. It doesn't work that way. When you make mistakes or fail, your standing with the king doesn't change at all. Um, Paul, he wrote to a, a church in the city of Galatia uh, uh, around this, this exact issue here. He wrote to them saying this, How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? So you start... In grace, you start with mercy. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? He's saying, stop trying so hard to earn something that was freely given to you in the first place. It was freely given. It was freely given. You know, when we start to switch into this, this frame of thinking that we, we, we do way too much in the church, where we start to think that we've got to earn this now, or that God has given us this thing, so now I need, I need to pay him back somehow. You know what you've just slipped into? If that's how you're living your life, you've just slipped into religion. You've just slipped out of a vibrant relationship with Christ centered around him. You've just slipped into religion, working hard to, to earn what's been freely given to you. You've heard me say this before, but it's, it's, it captures this so good. Religion is spelt do. Work really hard. Do all the stuff, do all, follow all the rules, go to church, pray, tithe, blah, 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 blah. Religion is spelt do, but, but Christianity is spelt a little differently. It has two other letters on the end. It's spelt done, as in Jesus 
has done all the work. He's done all the work. Now it's just up to us to abide in the Spirit of God, to live connected to Him, to follow Him wherever He leads, and, and to let Him shape us and mold us into the people um, who look like Jesus. And the last reason that this invite is so amazing is because the King is, is not just a figurative person in a story that Jesus is telling. The King is an actual person to be enjoyed, not just not, not a religious system to be learned. He's a person to be enjoyed. It amazes me how, how many Christians just, they've got that label Christian attached to them, and, and for years, they never understand that this is, it's not about doing religious things, it's about knowing the king. It's not about just religious exercises, it's not about just showing up to church, it is about enjoying the king of kings. It's about having your life, having your, your heart and soul attached to the King of Kings, attached to Jesus. And, and so many Christians go through life and they miss this. And I know it happens all the time because I was one of those guys. I just got the religious stuff and I thought it was all about religion. But it's not, a, it's not about that. You know, it, it's not about carrying the baggage of religion. It's, it's about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. Jesus opens the door to his presence and says, I give you me. I give you me. It's not about your works. It's not about your efforts to do better. You are saved by grace. You're saved by grace. And, and this king is a person to be enjoyed. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, everything changed. Everything. This is huge. The invitation is no longer just to a select group of people. It's no longer just uh, kept to, to, to those Jesus comes along, and, and through the work he does on the cross, he flings the door wide open to everyone. And this morning, we're going to kind of shift things a little bit here. We're going to celebrate what, what he's done for us by taking part in communion. And this is going to be all about remembering how the king gave his son for us. And if uh, you're wondering how this goes, we, we do communion pretty simple around here. It's not very complicated. But at the front and in the, at the back, we have trays on these tables. Uh, some of the trays have juice. And th- that juice is it's grape juice. It represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'll shed mine. I'll go to the cross. I'll pay the penalty for their sins so that they can then come in and be a part of this incredible banquet, this feast. And then at the, in the trays, we also have crackers. And the crackers, they represent Jesus' body that was brutally broken on the cross. Brutally broken. And, and we remember how he did that for us. That, that represents the, 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 the new life, the, the relationship that we can have, the new heart that we can have because of everything that he's done. And so we're going to, in just a second, we're going to sing another song and give you an opportunity to take communion. Um, if you're here, you're, maybe you're a guest, or you, you would risk rather not do this. Um, communion is actually available for anybody. You don't have to be a regular attender here at this church. But if you would rather not, I just want to let you know that's totally fine. You're, you're, you're welcome to just sit and observe what's going to happen. Um, but if, you're, if you'd like to partake in communion, as we sing this next song, I'm just going to invite you to come down to the front and grab a, a juice and cracker at the back, and then... Take it back to your seat. Take it whenever you're ready. There's not going to be a cue from the front. Just whenever you're ready, 
take the, the juice and the cracker, and as you do, remember, remember all that God has done for us. He's that king. He's that king that gives that invite. We're those people that were hostile to God because of our sin. We were against God. We refused. It was our sin that had Jesus nailed on the cross. And yet, in God's grace, he keeps inviting us to himself. Let's remember all that he's done for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this story that you told is, is kind of actually tough to just wrap your mind around. God, the only thing that makes this story make any sense is the, the fact, the truth that, Father, you are just full of a love that we can only begin to understand. Your love for us, your grace, your humility, your patience, Lord, thank you so much that you have shown us that. Lord, I thank you this morning that, God, this invitation to come and feast, this invitation to come and feast at your table, God, to know life to the full, to know your joy, to know your peace, to know your love, your kindness. God, I thank you that that invitation is open to everybody, everybody. And, Father, I pray this morning that, that Lord, uh, Jesus, we would just joyfully Say yes and surrender to you. Father, as we partake this morning in, in these communion elements, I just want to pray, Lord, that you would, you would just help us to be just full of understanding and gratitude for all that you've done for us. I pray in your name, Jesus.